0: Well, let's take our Bibles and we will turn to 1 Timothy, chapter 3. 1 Timothy, chapter 3. We'll be looking at verses 8 through 13. You know, last week we saw the importance of having elders who qualify spiritually. That position in the church that sets direction, that is supposed to hear the voice of God and set the church on the right course, very important that we have elders who qualify spiritually. But as we come to the 8th verse of this 3rd chapter, we find that it's equally important to have deacons and deaconesses who serve the Lord and have the right qualifications in service. And what we're going to see this morning is first of all, Who are the deacons and deaconesses? What do they do? And then secondarily, we're going to see the importance of having the right character. You know, sometimes when we look at leadership, we say, well, as long as they can get the job done, that's all that counts. Character doesn't matter. As a matter of fact, haven't we heard that from our politicians on numerous occasions? Character doesn't matter. But here's the issue. Your worldview is going to drive the way you behave. And if you don't have the right character, you can have all of the capabilities, all of the gifts, all of the talents in the world, but if there isn't the right character to back that up, you're really not accomplishing anything, and that's particularly true when it comes to the Lord. God wants people of character who serve Him and who serve His church body, and that's what's brought out in this passage of Scripture. Now, when we come to the 8th verse, we first of all see this term deacon mentioned. And what we want to do first is look at the position of deacon and deaconess, and we want to understand what the Word of God means when it references this position in the church. The 8th verse very simply starts with the word deacons, and we're going to take a moment and we're going to talk about who the deacons are, what the deacons do. Deacons, very simply, it's it's a term in the original language that means service. As a matter of fact, the word deacon is almost letter for letter from the original language of the Greek. And the deacons were people who were responsible for caring for the ministry needs of the church. Now really, even though deacon isn't mentioned in this passage, let's turn to Acts chapter 6 for a moment. The book of Acts... Chapter 6. And what we find in Acts chapter 6 really is a prototype for the ministry of deacons. Let me give you sort of a quick blow by of what was going on. According to the sixth chapter of Acts, it says that the disciples were increasing in number, and there were a number of Grecian Jews, and there were also Hebraic Jews. And basically, what was happening was this the Grecian Jews were complaining against. The Hebraic and Hebraic Jews were complaining against the Grecian, and the issue was this, widows. One felt slighted by the other, and so there was this huge brouhaha that took place in the church because of the distribution of food to the widows. So the second verse of Acts chapter 6 says this, So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the Word in order to wait tables, in order to serve these needy people. We can't do that and do the other responsibilities that we have. So what was their solution? Verse 3, Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, And we will turn the responsibility over to them, and they will give, and then we will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. So here's the idea the apostles identified a need in the church, a ministry need. Now rather than them going and doing all of the work, all of the ministries of the church themselves and being run ragged to where they couldn't spend time in preparation of God's word or in preparation of prayer, the solution was this, find people to carry out the ministry area that they identify as need. And those were the first deacons. They were responsible for serving the church body. And they're identified for us right here in the book of Acts chapter 6. That's why the scripture shares with us an important need when it comes to Those who carry out the ministry of the church. Those who are on the front lines and even behind the scenes. And that again is why we emphasize this third verse of Acts chapter 6. Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. In other words, they have a spiritual character. And then they will take the responsibility over and the apostles will work on the ministry of the word and the ministry of prayer. So deacons are people who serve the church body, and the idea is this. Deacons and deaconesses are very important. They're important to the church body because they're on the front lines. They're the ones that get it done. They're the ones that see that ministry is carried out, and that brings us to our next point. What is their function in the church? When we look at the term deacon and the ministry of a deacon, we find a counterpart in the Jewish synagogue. The Jewish synagogue had a person who was responsible for seeing to the synagogue being maintained, seeing to some of the various work that was done through the synagogue being carried out into the community. And these people had really a counterpart relationship with what the deacons do in the church. So when we look at deacons in the church, basically they have the responsibilities of caring for the finances of the church, caring for the maintenance and the care of the church, caring for the people-type ministries where they would take food and where they would visit and where they would care for the members of the church. All of those are responsibilities of deacons and deaconesses. Now notice I keep using this term deaconess. Some of you might wonder, well, now, pastor, I've seen deacons. I saw in Acts chapter 6 where it says that they were to choose men full of the Holy Spirit. Why do you use that term deaconess? I use the term deaconess because the Word of God uses the term deaconess. So let's look at where this is used. In Romans chapter 16, there's a woman named Phoebe. And notice, the NIV translates this a little bit differently. It says, I commend you our sister Phoebe, now they just say a servant. They take the literal translation of the term deaconess and they make it servant. But if we look in the original language, really what it's saying is this. I commend to you our sister Phoebe a servant of the church in Sancria. And I ask you to receive her in the Lord, in a way worthy of the saints, and give to her any help she may need from you. Now look at what she did. For she has been a great help to many people, including me. So Phoebe was a person who was involved in service. She was involved in ministry. And she was identified as a deaconess. And I think it's important that we understand that work and that ministry. Now here's another interesting verse when this word service is mentioned. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10, the Scripture says this, each one should use whatever gift he has received. Now, our English Bibles say to serve, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. Once again, the Greek word deacon is translated serve there. So here's the idea. Deacons are to use their spiritual gifts in service to the Lord. The idea that the Word of God brings across is this, that we are to deek according to our spiritual gift, that we are to serve one another according to that spiritual gift. This is what God wants us to do. And again, this idea of service comes out clearly in this passage of Scripture. So deacons are service people. They're the ones that we turn to and say, okay, who can manage this area of ministry Who can see to it that this will be done well? And if it's a man, we have a deacon. If it's a woman, we have a deaconess. And God puts them in place to manage those areas of ministry. So deacons and deaconesses are essential to the church body. Now thus far we've seen the position. Let's go into some of the prerequisites for deacons and deaconesses. When we look at this text... Right after deacons are mentioned, there are some general requirements that are mentioned in verses 8 through 10 that pertain to men and women. And we want to look at some of these requirements and understand that in serving even in a service ministry in the church, there's the requirement that we have the right character, And as we look at this text, we see this character outlined for us. Many of the things that we find in character in this passage, as they describe character, were found also in a description of elders. But let's look at each one. The first one that is mentioned is this, that deacons are to be men worthy of respect. They're to be respectful. They're to be people that we look at and that we say, now here is a good representative of Jesus Christ. It's the same word that was found for elders in verse 4 where it says that their children are to obey them with proper respect. And what it means is this, they are to be honorable. It's the type of person that you look at and say, this person has earned a good reputation. This person is worthy of following." I respect this person because of who they have demonstrated themselves to be. That's the idea that the Word of God is getting across. And what we need to understand is this. When a person leads an area of ministry in the church, they not only represent that area of ministry, but they represent the church as a whole. One time I was out on a golf course. I used to golf. I finally found it so ridiculous, my performance, that I gave it up. It was just too expensive to go out and get that frustrated. But I was out on the golf course. I was golfing with a couple of guys, and they were filthy. I gotta tell you sexual innuendos, foul language, filthy jokes, one after the other. About the third hole, I was, my ears were burning. You know, It was getting to the place to where I was saying, man, this is just about all I can take of this. And so the conversation turns to, so what do you do? I said, I'm a pastor. First words out of their mouths, well, praise the Lord, we're deacons at such and such a church. Blew my mind. I thought if I had deacons who represented the church and represented the Lord in this way, I would be horrified. You see, it's a reflection not only on them, but they mentioned the church that they served in. So what do you do that's burned in your mind? You're thinking the church has people like this who who serve in an important area of ministry? What are they thinking? And here's what we need to remember. When we proclaim that we are Christians, we're not just representing ourselves. If I'm associated with a church, I am a reflection on that church. But more than that, I'm a reflection on all Christians. The moment I say I'm a Christian, people are... Starting to evaluate me and see what I'm like, and they will not only judge me but all Christians by the way I present myself. And most of all, we represent the Lord. Whether you're an elder, a deacon, or just a Christian who comes and is a part of a fellowship, you need to be worthy of respect. You need to lead a life that implements the truths of God's Word. Either do that, or please be quiet about your faith. The story is told of a young man who came to Alexander the Great, and he was a deserter. He was just in his teens, and he was brought before him. The penalty was death. And as he came before Alexander the Great, he was interviewed. And Alexander asked him why he deserted, and he gave an explanation of how fear took over, and Alexander the Great had compassion on him. He said, I'll spare you this time. And then as he turned around to walk away, Alexander the Great asked him, So what's your name? The young man turned around and said, Alexander. And Alexander the Great looked at him and said, either change your name or change the way you behave. And really, as Christians, we need to understand that pertains to us. If I call myself a Christian, I should live a life that is worthy of respect, that honors the Lord. If I am identifying myself as a follower of Jesus Christ, I should have a life that backs it up. And that's certainly true of church leaders. Now, as we continue in the text, after this general requirement that we find here, that the deacon is to be worthy of respect, there are three negatives that follow. The first one that we find is right here in the eighth verse, and the NIV translates it, they are to be sincere. If we look in the original language, it's a very interesting word. It's a word that means we are not to be double tongued. Now, what in the world does double tongued mean? Does that mean we're not to be mutants? Not the idea at all. Double tongued, we would say you're not to talk out of both sides of your mouth. In other words, we're to be honest, not hypocritical. We're not to talk one way around this group of people and another way around this group of people. There's to be a consistency. We aren't to put on our church face when we're at church and then live a totally different way when we're out in the world. God wants people who are consistent. And a deacon is somebody that is to live a life of consistency. You see, if you have a leader who is harming the name of Christ, then he's harming the church. People will see that. Word will get out. And the ministry of the church will suffer as well as that person's testimony. God does not want double-tongued people in His service. Look at the next requirement. In addition to being sincere, the Scripture goes on to say not indulging in much wine. Now, we saw this as a requirement for the elder, and we see it again as a requirement for the deacon. You are not to be addicted to alcohol. You are not to allow that to control your life. That is the literal meaning of this passage. And we can all see why. If a person has issues with alcoholism, then that's going to affect their testimony. But then, as we saw with the elder last week, alcohol very often will lead to other sins. Lose your inhibitions, and that's not a good thing. When you allow yourself to make decisions, to have activities under the influence of alcohol, they're not good decisions. They're not good activities. So the Word of God is saying leaders should avoid that. And then look at the next requirement not pursuing dishonest gain. Now, I saw one translation that actually rendered this not repulsively greedy. And here's the idea. Deacons very often have responsibility over the purse strings of the church. So, suppose you have a greedy person who's in charge of the money. They might... Say, okay, here's one for the Lord, and one for me, and one for the Lord, and one for me. They may be tempted to fall into theft, right? So if you have a greedy person, that can be dangerous if they're in charge of the finances. But secondarily, there's something else. If you have a greedy person, they may not be ministry minded. The church is not a business. We're not here to amass a huge savings account so that we can look at our investment and say we have a lot of money as a church. That's not the purpose of the church, to be a bank, to have a lot of money. We are a faith operation. Now, I'm not saying be unwise and spend all of your money and live offering to offering. You're foolish if you do that. But by the same token... A responsibility of a deacon in handling the finances of the church is to make sure that actually something is being done in the area of ministry, that we are caring for the ministry of the church, that we are aggressively pursuing the spread of the gospel through our finances. It's a huge responsibility. And that's why the Word of God cautions against one who would be greedy, The Word of God is telling us to be careful. Now, look as we continue in this passage, and when we come to the ninth verse, we see a spiritual qualification for all deacons. They must keep hold of the deep truths of the faith. Now, what the Scripture means by that is this. They have to have a familiarity with the doctrines of the Word of God. Now, this is the counterpart to the elders who are to be apt to teach. Here, the deacons are not required to teach, but they are required to have an understanding of these deep truths. In other words, they're to be students of the Word. They're to look into what the Scripture says. They are to understand what the Word of God teaches pertaining to salvation, pertaining to prophecy, pertaining to many of the doctrines and the teachings of the church. God wants them to have that grasp, that understanding. But I want you to look at the last part of that ninth verse. They hold these. They keep them. And notice it says with a clear conscience. What the Scripture is saying there is this. Not only do they look at what the Bible says, but they do what the Bible says. How do you have a clear conscience when it comes to the Word of God? By doing what it says. Your conscience is a special gift from God that allows you to look at something and say, hey, that's not right. I need to move away from that. I need to not do that. Your conscience is triggered by the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit takes the Word of God and He works in concert with your conscience so that when you are looking at the opportunity to do wrong and your conscience goes off and says, hey, wait a minute, cut it out, we need to listen. Holding to the deep truths of God is meaningless if there isn't a conscience behind it that says, I will follow what the Word of God says. It's pointless. Just because you can pass a theological exam doesn't mean that you're in the right place with God. What do you do with the information you have? Do you hold to it with a clear conscience? That's what the Word of God asks us. And that's what the deacons are to be as this verse reveals. Now look at the 10th verse. They must first be tested... And then if there is nothing against them, let them serve as deacons. Now, when it says here they must first be tested, the Scripture isn't saying administer a theological exam. Give them a personality profile. That's not the idea. The word that's translated tested is a word that we find many times in the Scripture that means that you essay something. You look at it and you see the percentage If you're assaying a piece of gold ore, you want to see, okay, how much of this is pure gold and how much of this is other stuff. To assay a person means you look at their life. We're not going to find perfection, okay? But we want somebody who demonstrates some degree of consistency in living what the Word of God says. And so there's a requirement of the church, not that we look at people and judge them, but in the sense that we look at them and say, do they have the spiritual qualifications to lead in this ministry? And here's the caution to the church don't just grab a warm body and put them in an area of leadership. When we do that, we suffer. A person needs to be spiritually qualified and called of God to serve. And just having willingness and an ability aren't enough if there isn't a life that backs that up. And so that's what the Word of God is teaching concerning the deacons. Now, when we come to verse 11, we find that the NIV does a little bit of interpretation instead of translation. In the NIV, it says this, in the same way, their wives are to be women worthy of respect, not malicious talkers, but temperate and trustworthy in everything. Now, what the NIV translates as their wives, they're supplying some words. First of all, the word their isn't in there. Secondly, the word wives is a Greek word that can be translated wives or women. I think... The New American Standard Bible did a superior job in translating this because it says this, women must likewise be dignified, not malicious gossips, but temperate, faithful in all things. Now, I believe the Word of God is talking about women deacons, and there are several reasons that I believe that. Let me share a few of them with you. First of all, we already looked at this verse. In Romans chapter 16, Phoebe is mentioned and she is identified as a deaconess of the church. Secondly, look at the 8th verse. In verse 8, it says, Deacons likewise are to be men worthy of respect. Then look at verse 11. Now, the NIV translates it in the same way. Literally, in the original language, it's the same word that's used in verse 8. Likewise, the women are to be women worthy of respect. What it's doing is setting something up. It transitions from elders to deacons, and now I believe it transitions from deacons to lady deacons, deaconesses. Secondly, I find it interesting that deacons' wives are mentioned here, but elders' wives weren't mentioned. Why would the text set a higher bar for deacons than for elders? This must be referring to women deacons. And so those things taken together, along with the fact that when we look at early church documents, many of the church fathers mention deaconesses, that all taken together, it's a pretty compelling argument that this passage is talking about deaconesses. So what does the Scripture say about deaconesses? First of all, like their male counterparts in the 11th verse, they are to be worthy of respect. We won't rehash that, but just understand that that's a requirement. Secondly, when we look at this passage, it goes on to say not Malicious talkers. Now, I like the idea of the word slanderous. As a matter of fact, this is a really interesting word in the original language. When it talks about them not being malicious talkers, malicious gossips. The Greek word that's translated malicious talker in this is a Greek word that's diablo. Anybody know what that is in Spanish? Devil. She's not to be a she devil. No, that's not the idea. The Scripture here is talking about someone who is adversarial. The devil means the adversary. And so they're not to set themselves up as the adversary to everything. They're not to run things down. They're not to get a critical spirit. The deaconesses are to be careful not to allow that to be something that is descriptive of them. And we can see why. If you have a leader that has a critical spirit that runs down the ministry of the church, they are poison to the church ministry. They can do damage and destruction that is irreparable. So the Word of God is warning against that. Next, they're to be temperate. The Scripture shares with us the importance of temperance. We saw it with elders. And the idea of being temperate originally meant to not dabble in alcohol, and allowing alcohol to take control of your senses, but later it came to mean just being clear-minded. In other words, having the ability to think things through, having common sense, being able to look at an issue and assess it properly. Very important for a leader. And then look at the last requirement, trustworthy in everything. The idea that's mentioned here is they are to show a faithfulness in things. They are to be believing the things of God. And they are to be living them out. And then back to the deacons. Look at verse 12. A deacon must be the husband of one wife. We saw this with the elders and we understand this to mean faithful to their wife. We understand this to mean that they are devoted to the woman that they are married to. But then also, they must manage their own house well. Again, we saw this with elders, and we saw the importance of them being the leader of their home. If their home is in shambles, how can they come into the church family, the church body, and work and lead in an effective way? It's impossible. So that's the warning. So, we've seen the position of elders, We've seen some of the prerequisites for elders. But finally, we want to look at the promised blessing to those who serve. And excuse me, I said elders, I meant deacons. So let's look at what deacons are promised as we come to the last part of this passage, verse 13. Those who have served well gain an excellent standing. You know what's promised first of all? If you serve God in the church body... As a servant of Christ, as a deacon, you will earn a good name. Now, some might look at that and say, oh, yeah, well, big deal, good name. Where's that get you? You That and a couple of bucks will get you a phone call. That's kind of the idea that some people get. But I think we underestimate the value of a good name. Solomon said this. A good name is more desirable than great riches. To be esteemed is better than silver or gold. Have you ever known a rich person that you look at and you have absolutely no respect for them? You look at them and say, yeah, they have a lot of money, but boy, what a dog. They're just terrible. They're abusive. They're hurtful. They're not a person I want to be around. A good name is of great value. It takes a long time to achieve a good name. But here's the warning. It takes only a moment to lose it. There have been disappointments in all of our lives where we've looked at somebody and we've said, Wow, that's a great person. And then something happens. They become involved in an extramarital affair. They are found to be dishonest in some business activity. And the person that we looked at and said, now there's a really great person, all of a sudden, shoots right down. When we are faithful and consistent, Over time, we develop a good name. We come to the place to where we are in excellent standing. The church body looks at us and says, there is an example. There is someone who follows Jesus Christ. And let me say this. We don't seek a good name so that we can pat ourselves on the back. We seek a good name for the honor of Jesus Christ. It's not so we can walk around and say, yeah, you know, I'm so respected. I'm a respectable person. That's not the purpose. We want to demonstrate ourselves to be honorable because we, in turn, want to honor Jesus Christ. And that's an eternal thing. The pat on the back that we get here lasts but a moment. But honoring Jesus Christ lasts forever. So God wants us to be people who earn that good name. The Scripture also talks about the importance of respecting those who are in leadership, by the way. 1 Thessalonians 5.12 says this, Now we ask you, brothers, to respect those who work hard among you, who are over you in the Lord, and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard and love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. When someone has demonstrated themselves to be worthy of respect, there's nothing wrong with us as a church body giving it to them. We need to allow people to understand we appreciate the life that they live and honor them for it. But then look at the last part of the 13th verse. Not only do they gain an excellent standing, but notice they have great assurance in their faith in Jesus Christ. So there is an assurance in the faith. And what the Scripture is talking about in this particular passage means... There is a freedom there. Actually, the word that's translated assurance in the NIV is from the original language, and it means openness, speaking freely. What the Scripture, I believe, is telling us is this. When we prove ourselves to have a good name, it opens doors for ministry in other areas. We have the opportunity to serve more because we have established that good reputation. But then it goes even further than that. This idea of assurance also carries with it the idea of the assurance of our faith in the sense that as I see God at work in my life, and as I see God work through me into the lives of others, it deepens my faith in Him. Do you know why the Bible talks so much about the importance of doing the work of the ministry? You know why the Scripture tells us that we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works? That's true of all Christians. Why, as we saw earlier in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10, that we're all to do the work of the ministry, administering the grace of God? You know why? Because there is a maturity that comes through service. If I'm a pew warmer, I won't develop in my spiritual gift, and in a deepening of my faith in the way that I can if I'm involved in serving God. The people who really grow, the people who really develop a strong walk with the Lord are the people who are active in service. That's just a fact. And so what the Word of God is saying is this. The payoff... The blessing in serving as a deacon is developing a good name and then developing your walk with God. You will see a growth, an assurance of the faith, a deepening of the faith. And this is something that we should want to see for ourselves and certainly God wants to see in our lives. So let me encourage you this morning. Pray for those who serve as deacons in our church body. They would be people who serve in ministries like children's church coordinator, nursery coordinator, our trustees, people who keep the operations and ministries of the church going. Pray for these people. I'm so thankful for the team that God has given us who serve so faithfully in this church. We have made it a point to be careful to not put warm bodies in these places, but to find people who qualify biblically, pray for their strength, their continuation, and their growth. But also understand this, as with the elders, the characteristics that we looked into today, these are things that we should all be growing in. Understand the importance of having these things implemented in your lives. And seek God, who is the only one who can provide the strength through His Spirit to have these things as a part of your life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this text. We thank you for the reminder to us, Lord, that we are to be servants servants of Jesus Christ. Help us to be faithful in that. Father, we place this before you in Jesus' name. Amen.